What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, guys, welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football. We are kicking off quarterback week here on a Sunday, and we're starting with my top 12 quarterbacks. So, obviously, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. That's the first tier everyone agrees with. So, instead of trying to explain to you why, or basically just saying why Lamar and Mahomes are one and two, because everyone already knows that, let's talk about them compared to each other. Because that's the decision you're making if you're taking a quarterback high. Which one do you take? So I have Lamar at one. Of course, him and Mahomes are so much better than everyone else. So they're both going to be guys that I would draft high and think about drafting high. Even though I'm a guy who usually goes quarterback late. But I would take Lamar significantly higher in a draft than I would Mahomes. And here's why. Lamar Jackson has a much higher floor game to game because of his rushing. His bad game is probably going to be better than a Mahomes bad game because he's always going to have that safe floor with his rushing yards. And then for the same reason, he also has a higher ceiling. His rushing, if he goes for 100, 125 rushing yards in a game, his ceiling is much higher because he could still throw plenty. So because of both the safer floor and the higher ceiling for Lamar, I would definitely take Lamar higher. And that's not the only thing. He got more efficient last year and I actually get super super specific about this and you know some crazy findings that I found on Lamar Jackson in my detailed breakdown of the AFC North when I was doing my projections podcast so if you want to listen to that and you know you're struggling to buy into Lamar being as good as he was last year or close to it go ahead and listen to that because I think there are some things that you will definitely find interesting that might make you feel more confident in Lamar. Because before I did all my breakdowns and all my research in Lamar, I was kind of fading him. And then I realized so many things, like for example, that as the year got on, despite this being his first true breakout year and you know teams getting tape on him as the year goes on, he got better and more efficient. Even if you took his stats from his four games in the back half of the year versus really good defenses, the Bills, the Patriots, the Niners, the Rams, the Rams you can debate, but you know they have at least an average defense last year. If you take the four games from right from that um, that grouping, he was more efficient than his season average versus the number one defense the Patriots, the number two defense, the 49ers, the Bills, which were top 10, and the Rams, which were pretty good too. And it's just crazy to me that he was not slowed down at all as the season went on. He only got better. And it makes me really confident in him going forward. His back half of the year, he was at about a 13 or 13 and a half percent touchdown rate, which is just like stupid. Like that's insane. And for that to be the back half and not the front half, and, you know, teams getting tape on him and then being able to defend him better. That's just crazy to me. And honestly, yeah, all of those stats are going to come down. His passing is going to come down. He's not going to be as efficient, whatnot. But if he is anywhere near his efficiency over his average from last year, which remember, as you got on in the season, it got even better. So just saying he's going to be average next year is saying he's going to be worse than he was when the season went on. 
So I'm fine saying that because it's a safe way to go, right? You don't want to project somebody at their ceiling. I'm even taking it further and I'm saying, you know, he's probably not even going to be at last season's average. He's going to be a little bit less and he's still clearly my quarterback one, even though I have him also reducing and rushing. The thing is, is okay, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, either of them could be the QB one, but Lamar Jackson gives you a higher week-to-week floor and a higher ceiling because last year's Lamar Jackson season was uh, better in points per game and just fantasy points than Patrick Mahomes' 2018 season, and they both had historic seasons for for you know fantasy. So if they both had crazy seasons and were both put up QB1 seasons and Lamar's was better, he shows the higher ceiling. So that's why I think Lamar is definitely the guy to go for. And when I told you I would take him much higher than Mahomes, I'm not taking either of them in the top two rounds. I can see and don't blame you if you want to do so, but I'm usually a quarterback late guy like 95% of the time. But if Lamar Jackson slips into the third, I'll take him. I'll definitely take Lamar Jackson if he slips into the third. And a big reason of that or to that is because of my Vort project. And I might give you guys like a quick explanation of that eventually, but I don't want to take time out of this quarterback podcast to do so. But basically Vorp is value over replacement player. So Lamar Jackson for me, per my projections, gives you a a little bit over a three points per week advantage over the average quarterback on your opponent's team. So like if you have Lamar Jackson, I have him projected for X amount of points, and then your average quarterback one, so you know the average of my 12 top-ranked quarterbacks, which we're going to go over today, the average of that is going to be three points less per week than Lamar Jackson. So he gives you a huge advantage. Three points per week in one position is a lot. So that's why I would take him in the third round. And then Mahomes, it's about like a one point per week advantage. So that's why I have such a disparity between the two, because I would take Lamar in the third. Mahomes, I probably wouldn't take in the third. I would take him if he fell to the top of the fourth, but I'm really just a guy who prefers to get my quarterbacks late. So that's why I pretty much have no Lamar or Mahomes shares in redraft leagues this year or startups this year. And so now we can go ahead and get into Mahomes. He may be a safer pick in some people's eyes because some people are worried about Lamar Jackson. They think he's a riskier pick due to the fact that he runs so much. I do think it's fair to say he may be riskier in terms of the likelihood of injury because of his frame. But I don't think that it's just because he runs more. Because at first glance, you might say, yeah, a quarterback that runs more should have a higher risk of injury. They're going to get hit more, yada, yada, yada. Well, actually, I saw some interesting stats that show it's not really true that quarterbacks that run more are more likely to get injured. It's, you know, like knowing that you're going to get hit, getting braced for the hit is no more dangerous for risk of injury than getting hit behind the line of scrimmage or getting sacked or a QB hit right after you get rid of the ball, whatnot. All of those things are pretty equivalent in terms of the risk of injury. And also Lamar Jackson knows how to protect himself. I mean, yeah, he takes some bad hits every once in a while, but he's not like just putting his shoulder down and hitting people trying to truck people over you know he's a smart guy he slides he goes out of bounds a lot he's really good in in that manner so I'm not really too worried about him getting injured that's not something that I'm basing my decision off of if I'm choosing between Mahomes and Lamar but I do understand that some people think that Mahomes is safer because of that and as though I wouldn't say so you know if that's what you believe then that's fine go ahead and 
Use that as your tiebreaker. I understand it. But either way, Mahomes is still amazing. He has elite weapons, better weapons than Lamar does, and he has a better play caller as well. So, I mean, there's not much that I need to say about these guys in terms of why they're so good. I just wanted to talk about Mahomes versus Lamar. And so now that's tier one, clear tier one. And now we're going to go into what I call my tier 2A. And it's 2A because I'll take these guys above my 2B. And 2B is just really small. It's only two people. So basically, I have this tier that's six players, all pretty close to each other. Except I think there's a good enough of a gap between the top four and the back two that instead of just leaving it as one tier, I kind of just do a minor split from 2A and 2B. And to start off tier 2A, I have the four guys, Kyler, Dak, Deshaun and Russ and it starts with Kyler I was super high on Kyler last year and it worked out really well how is he tell me please how is he not better this year than he was last year last year he was I believe the QB six in most in most four point per passing touchdown leagues and now he has DeAndre Hopkins now he's entering his second year in the league has some experience under his belt he's no longer a rookie same thing with his head coach who is calling plays, Cliff Kingsbury. He's now going to be in his second year in the NFL and have some experience under his belt. Plus, the Cardinals struggled last year converting in the red zone. That cannot get worse. They will have a better red zone conversion rate, and they will have more touchdowns because they had the opportunity to have a good amount of touchdowns last year. They just really struggled. I don't see that happening to that degree. Even if they struggle compared to the league average, it's going to be better than they were last year. So how is Kyler not going to be better with new weapons, more experience, and just, you know, regression to the mean in terms of red zone efficiency? So that's so much improvement all around. I think his rushing is going to be the same. And the rushing is what puts him at the top of this second tier for me. Because while the other guys in this tier, Dak, Russ, and Watson all do run the ball, and Watson probably runs the ball just as much as Kyler Murray this year, maybe even more. Kyler is going to be passing the ball a lot. He's going to have good weapons. And obviously, he has better weapons than Watson since he just took Watson's best weapon away from him. So Kyler Murray is definitely my number one in this tier. But here's the thing with tiers. For me, the way I structure tiers is I group guys together in a tier that I'm okay taking them in any order depending on my team build. So if you have Kyler behind Dak, Watson, and Russ. He's, you know, let's say he's your quarterback six. I don't blame you, and I'm fine if you want to draft it that way because they're all in the same tier for me. So you can kind of change the order of these guys if you please. This is just my preferred order. So after Kyler Murray, I have Dak Prescott. He was super efficient last year, and initially we were kind of worried that his efficiency would go down, and that was something we were weary of, but we still had him all inside of our top five quarterbacks. But then they added CeeDee Lamb. And that's really going to help them maintain last year's efficiency. Even if they're not to the same degree as last year, they're going to be pretty close because adding a first-round wide receiver who some people thought was the best wide receiver in this draft class, and you didn't really lose anyone. You lost Randall Cobb, Jason Witten. Jason Witten's getting replaced by a better Blake Jarwin, and Randall Cobb is getting replaced by a way better, in my opinion, CeeDee Lamb. So... You just added more pieces to your offense that are going to make you way better or should make you way better. But because of how efficient you were, maybe you get a little bit worse. But CeeDee Lamb makes a huge difference for my projections for Dak. He really does. Because he's their wide receiver three. I mean, you're not going to be able to guard him. 
So I'm projecting the Cowboys to be one of the NFL's best offenses all around. Dak probably loses some of his rushing upside, though, and that's something I want to touch on because he's always been, until last year, the guy who runs for six touchdowns. He went for six, then six again, and, you know, last year he had less than that, and it kind of hurt him, but not really because he was amazing in all passing metrics. If he had his average rushing statistics last year, he would have been even better than he was, and... I think he's going to kind of continue on the the path that he did last year because last year his passing was so much better. Their passing game was just elite and he didn't have to run the ball as much and he didn't run as many touchdowns. And I think that's going to be the same thing you see now because when you have CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper to throw the ball to, as well as Ezekiel Elliott, who's pretty decent out of the backfield, it's going to be hard for him to find reasons to run the ball in. So I think his rushing touchdowns are going to be a little bit low. He also is somebody that I was high on last year. And just like Kyler, my my three guys last year were Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen. Those were the three guys that I drafted everywhere. Those were the only guys I drafted, except I did take Lamar as a flyer in one of my uh, money leagues last year. But the main three guys that I had everywhere were Kyler, Dak, and Josh Allen. I had them all inside my top six last year. They all finished top six last year. So trust me, Dak is somebody that I like a lot. And so is Kyler. So is Josh Allen. And that's something that I want you to keep in mind. The Josh Allen, the fact that I like him and was high on him last year and it worked out well for me because I'm probably going to surprise you where I have him this year. But with that said, so far we have Kyler and Dak down. And if you want to take Dak over Kyler... I won't argue. Remember, they're in the same tier for me. So I like them both. Dak has better weapons, a better offensive line. He just lacks the rushing that Kyler is going to go for. And that's why I prefer Kyler. And all of my rankings are also according to four point per passing touchdown leagues. So don't forget that. And then we have Deshaun Watson as my quarterback five. Here's the thing. He is my quarterback five and I have him projected above Russell Wilson. But there is no way that he is somebody I would take above Russell Wilson. He's in the same tier. And I have him projected higher due to stats, but the risk that Watson holds versus the risk that Wilson holds is so much higher. And so we're going to talk about that because, you know, not only do you draft according to your rankings or according to your projections, but you have to always keep in mind risk, reward, potential, and, you know, week to week consistency. There are so many other things that you can, you know, take into account when you're drafting people. That's the point of tiers is so that you can go ahead and take, you know, guys in an area that you have around each other, but you know you want a different kind of guy for a different time of t- type of team that you're building. So Deshaun Watson, he is definitely the riskiest quarterback in this tier. He's probably one of the riskiest quarterbacks in the draft. And here's why. All three of his new offensive weapons are super injury prone. And not only that, but he has three new offensive weapons. Three. And this is probably the worst time to have a huge change in your offensive personnel because you're not having as much time to work on things. You're probably losing preseason, so you don't get in-game, real-time snaps. And it's just going to be so much harder for people that have not played, one, in a new system, two, with a quarterback yet, to be good right away. So I think that this offense could really, really struggle because three of their starting offensive players, which is Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, and probably Randall Cobb starting in the slot. All three of them are completely new to the team. So COVID could really help hurt, not help, sorry. COVID could really hurt. And the fact 
of no preseason could really hurt the chemistry of this team. And it probably will. Also, like I said, all three of the new weapons, plus their existing weapons, are all super injury prone. Will Fuller can never play a whole season. Brandon Cooks has mad concussion um, issues and scares. And David Johnson, we know that he's been struggled, been struggling to stay on the field. And then Randall Cobb is like 45 years old. So you're telling me that everybody in that offense is super likely to miss time. And if any single one of them, not Cobb as much as the others, but if Fuller or Cooks misses time, that's really, really going to hurt Watson. Because Cooks and Fuller together on the field is going to be pretty interesting. They're going to both be guys that can go deep and take the top off the field. It might make it easy for Deshaun Watson to run. He might have like a Cam Newton 700-plus rushing yard season this year. And so he has huge potential because of it. Because he's probably going to have to just carry this team. He's going to put this team on his back. And he's probably going to run like crazy. And assuming he doesn't get hurt trying to you know, play hero every play, because that's what it's going to take to take this team anywhere this year, he could end up being a really good quarterback for fantasy. But it's not just about him getting hurt. It's about all of his weapons getting hurt. Because if Cooks or Fuller or David Johnson or anyone goes down, the offense is going to get worse. It's going to hurt scoring opportunities. And it's going to make each person that goes down is going to make this offense easier to guard and it's going to make it harder for Watson to have any type of efficiency or anything going for fantasy purposes. So Watson is somebody that I'm really scared of. He's going way too high in my opinion because of all of the risks that you know go with drafting Deshaun Watson and that's why I don't have him on any teams. I won't be having him on any teams that I'm drafting this year. So he's my QB5 but I would much rather Russell Wilson who's my QB6. He might be the NFL's best quarterback. It's him and Mahomes versus each other. I don't think there's anybody else close to being the best quarterback. Lamar Jackson is great, but we haven't seen it enough from him, one. Two, he was crazy efficient, and we have to worry if that's something that we're going to see a huge decline in. But like I said, I'm not too worried about it, but it's, it's definitely something that is plausible. And so for me, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, those are the only two quarterbacks in the tier of the NFL's best right now. And the biggest problem with Russell Wilson has not been Russell Wilson. It's been the lack of pass attempts or being allowed to just let it rip. But luckily this year, part of the reason that I really like Russell Wilson is because the Seahawks lost some guys on defense. Last year, their defense was not great to start. Then they lost Ezekiel Ansah, a great defensive end. They lost Michael Kendricks, a really good linebacker. And right now, they still haven't even re-signed Jadeveon Clowney. It seems like that's direction, the direction they're moving, but it still hasn't happened yet. Their defense is going to be worse than last year, much worse in my opinion, because I also don't even like their first-round selection at linebacker. I thought it was a super reach. He's a guy valued at like third or fourth round coming into the, you know, the pre-draft process. So I really don't think that their defense is going to make any steps forward. I think they're going to take a few steps back. Russell Wilson's going to be allowed to throw the ball more. And not only is he going to throw the ball more because I think they're going to have a worse defense and they're going to be falling behind earlier and more often. And so they're going to feel the need to throw the ball more. But also because DK Metcalf has, you know, shown to be a great receiver that they got at a really good value last year. And him and Tyler Lockett, they give that offense some juice in the passing game. So maybe Pete Carroll is also just more likely to allow Russell Wilson to throw the ball more now that he has really good weapons. And so for those two reasons, I really like Russell Wilson. And honestly, I was a bit surprised because 
Russell Wilson, people don't really realize this. He's kind of like a, a Matt Ryan Jr., not to the extent and not as variable as Matt Ryan. Like, Matt Ryan's up and downs are so extreme. But Russell Wilson goes up and down as well. And he's always super efficient. His up and down is just due to pass attempts. Because sometimes he'll throw for just around 500 pass attempts. And then, or like 530. And then the next year, he's at like 450. And it just goes up and down. And it's really frustrating for fantasy purposes. And he also has, you know, that problem where he doesn't start the start the season too great. In fantasy, like we have almost accepted that Russell Wilson starts slow and then all of a sudden just ends up doing so good down the stretch. So I was surprised that I had him this high because that's something that I really always take into account, something that I don't like, but it's just because of the losses on the defense and the improving offensive weapons in the passing game that make me really like Russell Wilson. Also, they may bring in Josh Gordon or Antonio Brown. I'm not projecting that, but that's just also something to keep in mind that would raise Russell Wilson's ceiling. If they brought either of those two people in, Russell Wilson would probably be my number one guy in this tier above Kyler Murray. But as of right now, he's the last guy in this tier, but I would still take him over Watson because of the risk that Watson holds. And Russell Wilson has been a a trooper in terms of staying healthy. He has no risk in that category as Watson does. And all of his weapons are pretty healthy guys. It it seems like so far, DK had some questions in college and stuff, but we haven't seen him have any problems in the NFL NFL yet, so I'm not worried about that. So that rounds out my Tier 2A. Remember, my Tier 2B are guys that are pretty much, in terms of projections, neck and neck with these four guys that we just went through, but I have a clear cut in between them, and that's Carson Wentz and Joe Burrow. And we will get to Joe Burrow because I know you probably think I'm crazy for having him as QB8 that high um, because most people have him outside their top 15. But let's talk about Carson Wentz to start. He lost offensive guard Brandon Brooks, but they are bringing back Jason Peters and putting him at guard. So honestly, their offensive line, yeah, they took a hit, but it's a very, very minor hit. And so they might lose a minor step, but they're still pretty elite in my opinion. They've always had Carson Wentz be really good in fantasy when he's healthy. He's always done really good. And so now, not only, you know, we're in the pre-draft process, preseason and stuff, He's healthy. So not only are you projecting him to to be healthy for the whole season, so he should already be good because of the fact he always has been, but his cast of weapons has gotten so much better. It's amazing. I mean, that first game when Deshaun Deshaun Jackson was healthy and they played against the Washington Redskins, Deshaun Jackson had like 100 plus yards, two touchdowns. Carson Wentz was lighting it up. It was a great game for the Eagles in general. So he has Deshaun Jackson coming back. They even have insurance for Deshaun Jackson by trading for Marquise Goodwin, somebody who can do a lot of similar things that Deshaun Jackson does. Plus, they drafted Jalen Rager, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, also a guy I really like, was playing hurt all last year, and it was very evident in his gameplay, and now he's going to be healthy. So you have a new first-round wide receiver, a burner who's back and healthy, who in his one game with you was amazing. You have insurance for him in case he gets hurt in Marquise Goodwin. And then lastly, you have your second round wide receiver, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside last year coming back healthy, and it should be much better. So, And their offensive line is pretty much the same. It took a minor, minor step backwards. So how is this offense not going to be amazing for fantasy? Like I see this being one of fantasy's top offenses, one of the places that you are always going for for DFS, you know, trying to 
take your your pick, throwing your dart towards Alshon Jeffrey, Rager, Deshaun Jackson, Miles Sanders, maybe Boston Scott, whatever. And obviously he has the tight ends, Goddard and Ertz. And also Alshon Jeffrey, I didn't even touch on him yet, but he was not healthy all season last year either. If he plays 16 games this season, Carson Wentz is significantly better when Alshon is on the field. He averages like a half touchdown or a touchdown more with Alshon on the field. So you have all of these weapons, and it's going to be amazing for Carson Wentz. And honestly, their defense added Darius Slay, great, but their defense is still not the defense that brought them to the Super Bowl. It's not anywhere near that level, and Carson Wentz is going to have to throw the ball a decent amount. And because of the efficiency I'm projecting for him with all of these weapons, I would not be surprised if Carson Wentz leads the league in any category among quarterbacks, whether it be passing yards, passing touchdowns, completion percentage, Actually, completion percentage would surprise me because he likes to take a lot of shots downfield, and he's probably never going to be like a Drew Brees or Tom Brady or any of those high completion guys. But you get what I'm saying. He is amazing. Carson Wentz is somebody that I love taking in drafts. I think he has huge upside, and he could finish as the QB3 behind Lamar and Mahomes. It would not surprise me at all. Then we have Joe Burrow. I lost my bonkers, right? Uh Uh-oh. Like, Brandon's losing it. He just said Joe Burrow's QB8. Look, not at all. If you want a huge explanation on my ranking here, much like the crazy things I found with Lamar Jackson that I explained in the AFC North Projections podcast, also the same deal with Burrow. If you want to get an in-depth like look at Joe Burrow and all of the stats that support why I have him ranked here, you should go check out the AFC North Projections podcast, the same one with Lamar. And I'm pretty sure they're the last two teams I go over because I started with the Browns and then I think I went with the Steelers and then the Ravens and then the Bengals. So you can just, you know, skip over to the back half of that that podcast and listen to both my findings for Burrow and for Lamar. So, and that, that projection was very, or that podcast was very live, in my opinion. Like, I was so hyped up when I was doing that podcast, so I think you'll really like it. Basically, the Bengals will be in top five for pass attempts. Last year, they threw the ball 616 times. This year, they're probably going to be somewhere near that. Also, Joe Burrow low-key has one of the best skill position groups in the NFL, and I don't hear people talking about it, because if A.J. Green's coming back to play, you have a top 10 wide receiver. If he's to the level, he still was. Even if not... It's okay, he's still going to be, you know, a top 20, top 25 wide receiver in the NFL. Then you have T. Higgins, who I really believe is, you know, somebody that could be the next Brandon Marshall. I love T. Higgins. And he's a great fill-in for A.J. Green. If something, you know, if A.J. Green's not that great, or if he gets hurt, or if he decides not to play, or whatever the case may be, T. Higgins is going to fill that role pretty nicely. So you have already right there, A.J. Green, T. Higgins, both guys were not there last year for the Bengals offense. And you have to remember that because yeah, AJ Green was on the team, but he was hurt. And obviously they just drafted T Higgins. So those are two pieces in the offense now that were not there last year. Then you have Tyler Boyd, who plays the slot, is a really good slot receiver. Joe Burrow's gonna love him. And then you have John Ross taking off the top of the defenses whenever they decide to bring him in. I think he's gonna be their wide receiver four. And then you also have Auden Tate as your wide receiver five. Auden Tate People don't realize it because of how bad the quarterback play was last year, but Auden Tate was really good, and almost all of his targets were like super hard to bring in. He had people draped on him, or you know they were just really inaccurate, and he was able to pull in a lot of crazy, crazy passes. 
and he honestly has really good hands, body contortion, all that stuff. So he, as a wide receiver five, I think he could be a very good wide receiver three on any team. And, you know, teams that really need help, he could be a really good wide receiver two. Like Auden Tate, if he was the wide receiver two for the Ravens, he'd or if he was a wide receiver for the Ravens, he'd probably be the wide receiver too. He'd probably be the next best guy after Marquise Brown. Um, another team, I think he probably would be the second best receiver. I'm trying to think. I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. Maybe the 49ers with Debo Samuel. Auden Tate would be like competing with Brandon Ayuk in my, from my point of view in terms of skill. Obviously, Ayuk was a first rounder, so he would get the nod. But in terms of skill, Auden Tate could be a number two there. He could also be a number two on the Bills in front of John Brown or right there after John Brown as the three. So Auden Tate is a really good guy to be your number five. I mean, honestly, the Bengals receiving core is an embarrassment of riches right now, in my opinion. And nobody's really talking about that. Then obviously they have Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. And those are both really good receiving running backs to pair with Joe Burrow. So not only is he going to be passing the ball among the league leaders, I think I have him projected for the third or fourth most pass attempts this year. But he's going to have an amazing set of receivers to throw the ball to. He also has really good rushing production. He was around 400 yards both his last two seasons at LSU in terms of rushing. And he also ran the ball in for like four touchdowns on average in those seasons as well, between like four and six. And that added to 600 pass attempts or 580 pass attempts, whatever you want to give Joe Burrow, he's going to be really good. Plus, the offensive line gets better because you're adding offensive tackle Jonah Williams. He's back. And this all leads me to say that the Bengals offense is my dark horse to emulate last year's Buccaneers team. Because I talked about this in my mock draft episode, so I'll just make it quick in, in case you already heard this. But the Bengals have a bad defense like the Bucks have had for like the past three years. The Bengals are going to throw the ball among the league leaders like the Bucks have for the past three years. The Bengals have amazing receivers in the receiving core and a pretty shabby O-line, both very similar to the Buccaneers over the last three years. So the Bengals could really just be a great team for fantasy, even though as an NFL team, they're probably going to have a bad record and not be that great to start off. And speaking of the Buccaneers, that starts me off in Tier 3. So that's the end of Tier 2. I did Tier A, uh, tier 2A and Tier 2B. So now I can get into Tier 3. So we were just talking about the Buccaneers, and that starts me off with Tom Brady. The Bucks threw the ball 600-plus times the last two seasons. Over the last two seasons, they average 5,300 passing yards. 5,300. Brady will be asked to let it rip. Now, the Bucks defense over the last half of the season, yes, they had easier matchups, but their defense was definitely getting better. They had one of the NFL's best rushing defenses if it wasn't number 1. It's depending on, you know, whether you look at it by like points given up in the run game or rushing yards allowed or however you look at it, will give you a little bit different numbers, but they were one of the best rush defense defenses by far. And Brady has one of the best weapons he may has ever had. And so why did I mention the defense? Just because, yes, I'm not projecting Tom Brady to throw for 5,300 passing yards. I do project him to actually lead the league in passing yards, though, as well as passing touchdowns, but it's so close. I have him like four yards ahead of Patrick Mahomes, um, and he's in the 4,800s, just like Mahomes is for me. So I have him about 500 passing yards less than the average that the Bucks have thrown the past two years. And people are worried about Brady's arm. 
Am I worried about Brady's arm? No. Is it because I'm a Bucks fan? No. It's because if you watch Brady, he's still pretty good. He's not as good as he was in terms of arm strength. Sure, he's like 85% of what he was, 80% of what he was. That's still plenty, especially when you have guys that are always open, like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And now you have OJ Howard, you have Gronk, you have Cam Brate as your tight end three. You have Tyler Johnson, who is so good and so undervalued and I can't wait to see him get his opportunities even though it's going to be you know few and far in between with all the weapons on the Bucks offense I'm super excited to watch Tyler Johnson he was like my wide receiver seven in this draft class and I thought everyone was sleeping on him and then once my team drafted him I was like going bonkers I was like running around the house screaming um but anyways that aside Tom Brady has amazing weapons PFF has ranked the Bucks offensive line coming into this year so not last year but coming into this year the Bucks offensive line is ranked at 13 for them last year they ranked the Bucks offensive line for how they finished at seven the Bucks offensive line is not as bad as everyone thinks this past year and now it got better because you added Tristan Wirfs maybe they don't pre- perform to you know seventh best like they did last year but they have better names and better guys that are going to be more consistent and honestly if you're offensive lineman think about this you're an offensive lineman You've been blocking for Jameis Winston for the past however many years you've been in the league. Jameis Winston is a guy that probably frustrates you when he throws the ball to the other team. When he turns it over and you're busting your butt grinding in the trenches versus defensive linemen coming at you full speed, full strength, and then Jameis turns it over and you kept him clean, it's going to frustrate you. It's going to demotivate you. And you're going to lose confidence in your quarterback and you're not going to give 100% every play. I think that's something that we've seen with some offensive linemen. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I think some of our offensive linemen could definitely give more, um, what's the word, effort, give more effort on every play. And I think they're going to get that with Brady because all of a sudden now you're blocking for possibly the greatest quarterback of all time who makes great decisions, has one of the best decision-making skills we've ever seen in the game, who's super clutch, has the clutch trait that you need, in the NFL. Obviously, we've seen it in Super Bowls 28-3. Sorry, Atlanta Falcons fans. Um, and yeah, so if Tom Brady is the guy you're blocking for, you're going to try a lot harder than you were for Jameis Winston, who throws the ball to the other team every other play. Um, obviously, I'm exaggerating. I hope Jameis Winston, I wish him the best. I hope he does good. I like the guy. He's a cool guy. Um, he works hard. But Tom Brady is just a different animal. So I think this offensive line is going to be highly motivated. And they added Tristan Wirfs. So that combined with how much he's going to throw the ball and the weapons that he has is going to make him one of the better quarterbacks in the league this year, for sure. And so remember, he's the start of my third tier. Then we have Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is going to run for more than 400 yards. And that's why he's up here, because he's going to have to pass the ball a decent amount with the losses on the defensive side of the ball for the Jaguars. Plus, he's going to run the ball. He's going to see positive touchdown regression and probably shooting for two to five rushing touchdowns this year. I have him projected for two. So the fact that I only have him projected for two and he lands all the way up here at my QB, what is it, 10? Yeah, Brady's my nine. So I have Minshew at my QB 10. And I only have him projected for two rushing touchdowns on his 400 yards. He could easily get four or five. And if that's the case, he might be even better in fantasy than I haven't projected. And I still haven't projected higher than everyone else. So he also has nobody threatening his job. 
He's going to let it rip. He knows that this is he's got nothing to lose. This year is his year to show out because if the Jaguars have a bad record, which everyone's predict, predicting, then Minshew's probably going to lose his job. They're probably going to draft somebody. So if that's the case, Minshew knows that he, one, needs to lead the Jaguars to a winning record to make it harder for the Jaguars to replace him. And two, he needs to just go all out and show, even if he makes mistakes, he needs to show that he has some upside or some potential to groom for any other teams or offensive coordinators or quarterback coaches that, you know, are watching him and might say, hey, this is a guy we should bring in as a backup. And maybe, who knows, maybe we can groom him to be the successor. We've seen, you know, A, B, and C from him this year in 2020. So Minshew wants to provide those A, B, and C, those reasons for people to think that he could lead a franchise in the future. So he's going to take some shots. He's going to take risks. He's got good players to do it with in DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, and the newly drafted LaVisca Chenault in the second round. And so I think he's really just going to show out. He also has Chris Thompson added in the receiving game at the running back position. And Chris Thompson is definitely more efficient and more explosive in the receiving game than Leonard Fournette. And like I said, they lost a bunch of defensive pieces, mainly A.J. Boye and Calais Campbell. And that's going to put them in more pass-heavy game scripts. Plus, Yannick Ngakwe is probably not playing for the Jaguars. Even if he doesn't get traded or whatnot, like I don't know the complete logistics. It's been a while since I've touched up on his contract situation and you know if he holds out what that means if he's like unrestricted or if he's still that year doesn't count and he's still under the Jaguars um, control or whatnot but I really don't see him playing for them because he's so frustrated with them all he wants is to get out of Jacksonville so Minchu Mania over here alive and well brother alive and well now we get to quarterback 11 we're almost done here we're still in the third tier Josh Allen so like I said, you guys are probably going to be surprised that I have him lower than most people, especially when I was so high on him last year and it worked out for me. Basically, he is probably going to lose a lot in the rushing category this year. And this is why. They drafted one, Zach Moss, who's going to be way better than Frank Gore, way more efficient than Frank Gore. And I think most of us at this point, most of us that have been you know, paying attention, listening to mad podcasts, reading mad articles, and all that stuff, most of us know that... Frank Gore was so bad near the goal line last year. He could not punch in anything to save his life. Every time he got a goal line touch, he would get like half a yard or a negative half a yard. He wouldn't go anywhere. He wasn't finishing off those runs in the end zone. And a lot of times, you know who finished those runs off, who finished those drives off? It was Josh Allen. I don't project Zach Moss to have that problem that Frank Gore had. And I think Zach Moss finishes off those runs. If Zach Moss was in Frank Gore's shoes last year, you're taking three to four rushing touchdowns away from Josh Allen from Zach Moss finishing runs at the goal line. That's a lot. That's a lot of fantasy points, especially when we're talking four point per passing touchdown leagues because, you know, your rushing touchdowns are six points. That's 24 points if you take away four. That's a lot. That's more than a... That's like a point and a half per game. It is a point and a half per game. So I think that's going to hurt Josh Allen, one. And two, the addition of Stephon Diggs is going to help their passing game so much. Josh Allen is not going to see the need to run the ball more. So why is that a bad thing? I mean, that's probably something you're wondering. Why is that a bad thing if his passing game is getting better and you're saying he's going to be worse because he's not going to run as much, but it's because he's getting better in the pass game? Why is that bad? Well, it takes 25 yards in the passing game to get to one point, and it takes 10 yards in the rush game to get to one point. So the running game is two and a half times more deadly in fantasy for producing fantasy points than the passing game. 
And so, yes, I do think he's going to be much better passer. Not much better, but he's going to be more efficient. And he's going to have better metrics and better total numbers in terms of yardage and probably past touchdowns and whatnot than last year. He's going to lose in the rushing category, and that loss is not going to offset be offset by the addition in the passing. It's going to hurt him a little bit. So those two things combined for me having him a little bit lower than other people. And remember, he's in my third tier. So if you want to take him above Minshew, if you want to take him above Brady, trust me, I'm not arguing that at all whatsoever. They're all in the same tier. You can order them however you want. But I would not take him over Carson Wentz or any of the other guys that we've talked about so far that is not in this tier. And so you could put him at QB9, because right now I have him at QB11, but there's two guys in front of him in June Brady in this tier. So you can put him at QB9 if you want. And I'm trying to see, that's pretty much all I have for Allen. So yeah, he's had eight touchdowns and nine touchdowns on the ground the last two years. That's probably going to be like six this year. And that's, you know, me feeling kind of risky by putting it at six or seven. I actually put it at seven, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, as low as four or five. Um, I just think that we're going to see a little bit different type of offense here for Josh Allen. He's just going to scramble less and be able to stay in the pocket more because he has better weapons. Now that brings us to our last guy that we're going to talk about today, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is not the last guy in this tier. He's just the 12th quarterback, so that's why he. this is where we stop today. Um, but he has huge upside. Matt Ryan, he's up and down. Like when I was talking about Russell Wilson going up and down because of past attempts, Matt Ryan just goes up and down because he's Matt Ryan. It's not because, oh, he passes the ball less and then, you know, obviously that leads to less production. No, no, no. He just goes up and down in touchdown rate, yards per completion, um, yards per target, everything. Like completion percentage, everything is up and down every single year. Over the last five years, I graphed his metrics at all of the stack categories that I just mentioned to you and it literally made a W or no either a W or an M but literally every point was the exact opposite direction as the other point just like if you write out a W or an M and that's all the chart was filled with and so we're on the pattern on the trend up we are going up because last year was his down year and obviously It's the second year with Dirk Cutter, second year with his offensive coordinator. That's always the up points. Every time it goes down, it's because he gets a new offensive coordinator. So I think it's fair to say that he's going to be very, very good this year. He's going to be super efficient. He's got good weapons. Yes, he lost Hooper, but Hunter Henry, or sorry, Hayden Hurst should be. It's the double H tight ends. They get me sometimes. Hayden Hurst is going to be really good. He might not be as good, especially to start the season because he's new. But I think he's pretty close to Austin Hooper in terms of talent level. Um, probably, you know, we haven't seen it from him yet, so it might be risky to say that. But I feel like I've been a little bit lower on Austin Hooper than most people. So maybe that's why I'm saying that in the first place. But yeah, Hayden Hurst is going to be good. And they have Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. And now they have Todd Gurley. They're going to be a good offense. They're going to throw the ball a lot. And they are going to be in a lot, a lot of pass-heavy game scripts. I mean, just look at the division. The Panthers, their offense got a lot better from last year. They added Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson. Then the Saints, they got better, and they're already really good, but they got better because you're adding Emmanuel Sanders, and Alvin Kamara is going to be fully healthy as well. Then um, you have the Bucks, and the Bucks added Tom Brady. They're probably going to turn over the ball less, even if their offense is not as explosive because Brady's not as crazy as Jameis in terms of the risks he takes. They're going to be 
like winning more. The the Bucks are going to be ahead in more games because of the lack of turnovers. Therefore, the Falcons are going to have to pass more than usual this year than you know they have been versus the Bucks. So all three teams in the division are going to have the Falcons passing a lot, and uh, they're already a team that passes a lot from Dirk Cutter and Matt Ryan. So this rounds out my top twelve. Um, Matt Ryan could definitely be a quarterback five to seven pretty handily if everything comes together. I haven't projected at 12, but I don't like projecting guys at their ceiling. I project, projected him near his passing yard ceiling, but not touchdowns. They only have him at 29 touchdowns. He could easily turn in 34 to 35 pass touchdowns, and I would put him all the way up at like my QB5. So Matt Ryan is somebody that I like. I find him on a lot of my teams actually this year, which is weird because I've never been a guy to, to draft Matt Ryan. But his ADP is pretty good, pretty decent right now. And I like him even though his ADP is about where I have him ranked, maybe even a little bit higher than I have him ranked, I know that he has so much potential to do better than where I have him ranked, and I don't see him doing any worse. I don't see much risk with Matt Ryan at my ranking right now, because I don't think that he's going to be worse than a QB1, and I have him as quarterback 12. So that's Matt Ryan. That rounds out our top 12 quarterbacks. And now I am going to talk about a or answer a few questions. I've got more questions. I know Some of you guys listening sent me questions. This is quarterback week, so not only are we releasing this episode on Sunday, but we also have one on Wednesday, and then a last one on Friday. So if your question does not get answered today, I'm only answering three right now. If your question is not answered today, don't worry. It'll get answered eventually. I promise you I'm really good with that. I'm not going to miss anybody. So Sal Kusumano, I hope I'm saying your last name right, but Sal asks... Does it make much of a difference if a quarterback touchdown is the same as for other players? So instead of a touchdown being four for quarterback and six for everyone else, if touchdowns are six for everyone involved. I'm also in a league where if a touchdown is over 41 yards, it's 12 points for everyone, not six. So your question is, does it make much of a difference? I think it makes an extreme difference, Sal. Here's the the reason why. A lot of guys in my rankings, because remember, I do all my rankings by four point per passing touchdown, six point per rushing touchdown. So a lot of guys that make it high in my rankings are guys that run the ball a lot. Gardner Minshew, Kyler Murray's really high because of his rushing. Burrow's high because I know he can run the ball a decent amount. Josh Allen is high because he runs the ball a lot. All of those guys you're going to have to knock down in this format, not only because of, you know, now passing touchdowns are just as heavily weighted for fantasy total points as rushing touchdowns, but also because of your special, this is something really unique to your league, um, the 41 yards over being 12 points for everyone. I think that's kind of crazy, but that definitely adds a, a different type of layer to your league. For me, that makes you target passing quarterbacks way more. Like Matt Ryan in your format, like right now he's my quarterback 12 and four point per passing touchdown. In your format, Matt Ryan's probably my QB six or QB seven because he's going to throw the ball so much. He has guys that are going to break a lot of long plays for over 41 yards. Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones both have very high potential to have, you know, 40 plus yard touchdowns. And then it's going to help me move or make me move guys down like a Gardner Minshew or a Josh Allen because they're not going to have that many passing touchdowns to begin with. So the chances that they have a lot of passing touchdowns over 41 yards are going to be really low and they lose value in the rushing category because every rushing touchdown that they had gave them a two-point bonus over other quarterbacks' 
touchdowns because most quarterbacks are passing their touchdowns, not running them. Well, now that they're equal, it's going to hurt them a lot. So yes, I do think it makes a big difference. You want to make sure that the quarterbacks you're targeting are guys that throw the ball a lot are, you know, usually your, your more typical quarterback. It's, it's, it kind of favors the old school quarterback more than it does the new school quarterback in this format, which is fine. I like it. So that's pretty cool, Sal. And, uh, I wish you luck in your leagues. Then we have question number two from Mr. Anderson. He said, other than Hopkins, it's not really a quarterback question, but I told him I'd answer it for him anyway. Um, he said, other than DeAndre Hopkins, how will the rest of the Arizona wide receiver core turn out? There's no tight end of significance, I gather. So yes, I agree with you. There's no tight end of significance in this uh, offense that runs four wide a lot, especially if they you know, if they ran four wide a lot last year and now they just added the NFL's best wide receiver, in my opinion, in DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, they're definitely not going to have a significant tight end for fantasy purposes. I think that the wide receiver core for Arizona is going to turn out very clear cut. It's going to be Hopkins as the number one with around 140 to 150 targets. And then your clear wide receiver two is going to be Christian Kirk. And he's probably, so Hopkins is actually surprisingly and I might have to change this a little bit, or at least I won't draft it in this order, but Hopkins is my wide receiver too after Michael Thomas. I'm probably, when it comes down to it on the clock, taking Devontae Adams above him and Julio Jones above him because of continuity. Continuity is going to play a big, important role this offseason because of the lack of preseason and all that stuff. So new players in new places, or new faces in new places, um, are going to struggle a little bit to start. But I think Hopkins is the clear number one. He's going to be great for fantasy. He's going to, he's a locked-in wide receiver one for fantasy. And then Christian Kirk, he's probably going to be a decent flex player. He's going to be okay. I have him in my wide receiver 30s. Um, but he's definitely a guy, especially if Larry Fitzgerald takes a minor step back because of age, that is you know going to have a chance to produce. And he's going to be super efficient, too, with the addition of Hopkins. And his rookie year, he was much more efficient than his so- sophomore year, where he was playing a little bit dinged up and, you know, struggled with number one coverage and whatnot. So I think moving back to that number two coverage and not being dinged up, being fully healthy, Kirk is going to be a really good wide receiver and, you know, your flex, one of the guys that you could target in your late rounds if you go RB heavy, that could be a good addition to your team. He's their clear wide receiver two. And then obviously Fitzgerald is their wide receiver three. If you're looking for, if you want me to go deeper, you know, this is Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. So to go a little bit deeper, Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella, if they're on your waivers and you're in a really deep dynasty league, pick them up because they're going to be really good. Even if you want to, you know, try to trade for them by low for, you know, towards the team that has these guys, go ahead and try that out too. Because Andy Isabella, like we know Fitz is going to be gone soon. Obviously Hopkins is going to be their locked in one now and Christian Kirk is their locked in two. So the fact that they run four wide receiver sets is going to mean that their third wide receiver, whoever they may be, is probably going to have some decent games and be fantasy relevant. So I think that Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella both have an equal opportunity to be that wide receiver three. And the reason I say so is because Isabella is a guy you could play in the slot or outside, and he's a burner. But Hakeem Butler is a burner too, except he's like 6'4 or 6'... Man... I was so high on Hakeem Butler. I can't believe I don't remember this. He was one of my top five wide receivers actually coming into the draft last year for that draft class. Um, but he's between 6'4 and 6'6. Like, he's huge. And he ran, I believe, a 4'4. 
So he's really fast, really athletic, and he's really bendy too. He's very much like Denzel Mims, actually. My um, NFL player comparison for Denzel Mims this year coming in was Hakeem Butler. So he's somebody that I think could be really good. Um, I know he was hurt last year. He didn't get any opportunity to get on the field for the Cardinals. That's not obviously going to be the case this year. And then Andy Isabella is, you know, another guy who could end up... They drafted him higher than Hakeem Butler. They drafted Andy Isabella in the second round. So he's going to have a little bit of a bump in terms of pedigree to get on the field. But I think Hakeem Butler is better. So taking a shot at either of those guys will be good. And then last question is Nate Olb or Olby. I'm assuming it's Olb, O-L-B. So Nate, um, you asked... If there is a rookie quarterback other than Joe Burrow who makes a fantasy impact this season, and if so, by what week? Um, short answer, no. I do not think that there will be. Joe Burrow is the only quarterback that's going to start this season, I think. I think that the, the Dolphins should roll out, should and will roll out Fitzpatrick because that offensive line has like three new starters on it. And if you roll out Tua, he's going to get killed. He's going to get murdered. And you do not want your rookie quarterback to start his career um, getting hit every play. So I think that they're going to roll out Ryan Fitzpatrick as they should. And the Chargers are definitely, at this point, like I am so confident that Herbert is not going to play this year. Like I'm probably 70% confident, 80% confident he doesn't play at all. But I'm almost 100% confident Tyrod starts. And Tyrod's going to be better for fantasy than Herbert. So even if Herbert ends up coming in, he's not going to run the ball nearly as much as Tyrod. And that defense is so good in LA. And they have a really good run game. They're not going to need to pass the ball a lot. Plus, Herbert is really raw. He needs a lot of improvement. So if Herbert comes in, I'm not really going to see him being fantasy relevant in any way, shape, or form. I don't see him being like a top 20 quarterback. And then if Tua comes in, Tua, for some reason, some people... um, think that he runs the ball. Tua doesn't run the ball at all. He's a traditional, like, he's a West Coast kind of guy. Like, he he's a high-tempo, good mental processor, whatnot, um, at the quarterback position. But he doesn't run the ball at all. He's, you know, the guy that's going to stay in the pocket, shift around the pocket, and maybe, you know, scurry out to the side to make a play. But, yeah, he's not running much, so that's going to hurt him in fantasy. And the Dolphins are not yet good enough to the point where he can be really good fantasy-wise, just based off passing only. Because remember, I have guys like Brady and Matt Ryan and Drew Brees ranked in, like, the back, like, you know, 10, 11, like, 13 range. And they're obviously going to be way better passers than Tua. And it's because they don't have any rushing upside. Tua doesn't have rushing upside either. So unless he has weapons like those guys do, which he does not, um, he's not going to be fantasy-relevant either. And then I don't think Jordan Love's going to hit the field. So... Those are, you know, the only rookie quarterbacks that really have a chance to do anything. I mean, maybe not. Like, we didn't expect Gardner Minshew to show up last year, and he was pretty good. Uh, Maybe you see that with, like, a Jacob Eason or something. I don't think so, but you never know. But, yeah, I would say no. There's nobody going to be fantasy relevant among the rookies except for Joe Burrow. And that wraps up the start of quarterback week. Thank you for tuning in here on a Sunday, or at least that's when it released. I don't know when you're listening, but thank you for tuning in to my top 12 quarterbacks and... Remember the tiers, that's the most important thing. We're going to go over the tiers one last time. Tier 1, we obviously have Mahomes and Jackson. Tier 2A is Kyler, Dak, Deshaun Watson, and Russell Wilson. And then Part B of that second tier is Carson Wentz and Joe Burrow. Then Tier 3, Tom Brady, Gardner Minshew, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, and more guys to come starting on the next podcast that releases on Wednesday when I go over my quarterbacks 13-24. to 24. 
And so remember, draft by tiers and then, you know, find your risk reward type of players that you want. If you want to go for the high potential guy um, or the low or high floor, safe, safer guy. So that's it. That's all I got for you guys. Hope you guys have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. Keep diving deep. I wish you well in your leagues. Peace.